passages of Scripture. I've asked you, to, well, you were asked to turn to Judges 16, but I'd like to do something. I'd like to just turn back a few chapters, Judges 13. I'd like to set the context here and read these first five verses of chapter number 13. And then we'll go ahead and get into uh, the remainder of our text here today. If you're familiar with your scripture, this is a passage that deals with the life of Samson. And so Judges chapter 13, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, who, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. The angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now go ahead and go over to chapter 16, and let me begin reading in verse number 18. We're coming right into the this passage of Scripture. Many of you, if you're not overly familiar with some of the Scriptures, you probably are familiar with the name of Delilah. And so here's Samson. He's got a downfall with women, and he meets up with this lady by the name of Delilah, comes into a relationship with her, and she basically deceives him. And so in verse number 18, it says, And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she was trying to figure out, where is this strength of yours coming from? And he had basically, he, he deceived her a couple times, and she tried calling in the Philistines, and boy, he, uh, he, he came through and conquered them. But he basically then told her the truth of where his strength really was. So when she saw that, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist, or he knew not, that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. The lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were 
upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. The house fell upon his lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up, buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the burying place of Manoah his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. Now what I want you to see is in the first set of scriptures that we read, chapter number 13, everything is going well for this man by the name of Samson. A great start, a great heritage. I mean, an angel comes and announces his birth. And though we don't read the rest of chapter 13, 14, and chapter 15, we come to chapter number 16, and we see the tragic ending of his life. Oh, sure, he prayed, and he asked God to do something, and God did answer that request. But what a tragedy for a man who had so much going for him to actually fail. Today, I want to challenge you with the life of Samson because some of you today are headed just like Samson was headed. You're going the same direction. Oh, you may not be strong like Samson was. Oh, you may not perform some of the same things but you're making some of the most foolish decisions in your life, and your life will end in failure. So if that's you today, I'd like to go ahead and just open this up for you and show you from the life of Samson what the formula for failure looks like. Let's go ahead and pray together. Lord, I ask that you'd guide us in these few moments. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be able to share the Word of God. I take this as a great honor and a privilege. You've called me, and you gave me this message to share. And Lord, I I don't want to shirk in my responsibility. I want to be sure I give this with boldness today. Lord, I, I can't save anybody. I can't change anybody's heart, but I know you can. And simply, you're going to use me today as just a vessel fit for the Master's use, May the words that come spoken out of my mouth penetrate the hearts of people. May the Spirit of God work in this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a freshman in high school, was just finishing actually my freshman year, I was very excited because there was some stunning news that came out about a 22-year-old young man by the name of Len Bias. Len Bias, in his senior year, had been selected as the ACC Athlete of the Year. He had been the second overall pick by the Boston Celtics, which was and still is my favorite team. It was on June 18, 1986. The Celtics' famed general manager, Red Auerbach, had crafted some great trades in order to get this pick and was hoping that this would be the next young player on which to build this team upon. 
But very sadly, less than 20, 48 hours after being selected, word came from the University of Maryland where he played college ball that this young 22-year-old man, Len Bias, had died of a cocaine overdose. In Boston and all around the world, the sports world, people were wondering and in fact sometimes still wonder what could have been. There are some of you here today and you say, well, preacher, I don't care much for sports. I understand that. Or maybe you just relegate these type of failures to the sports world. But I submit to you today that this type of thing takes place in every part of our society. I'm not simply talking about the drug overdoses and the taking of a life, but I'm talking here today about the tragic failures of what could have been in somebody's life. No matter whether you look at the business world, the music world, the Hollywood scene, or even the simple profession that you may be in, you will see a lot of stories like Samson's, like Len Bias's, written over and over and over again. And the sad truth is that it's not just relegated to the secular world. These type of stories are being seen in local Bible-preaching churches just like this one. And as we see in today's text, it happened to a shining Bible character who had such a bright future ahead of him. Sometimes we look at the credentials of a person. We look at everything on the outside and we think to ourselves, wow, now that's the measure of a person right there. Isn't it amazing how we're so caught up and looking just at the outside? Now, we can't see the inside. God sees the inside. But we certainly look at everything and we go, now that person's going to go somewhere. And no doubt people around Samson probably looked at him and thought, man, that guy's going to go somewhere. I mean, think with me for just a moment about the credentials of Samson. I mean, his birth was spectacular. Who of you could say today, you know, an angel came to my mom and dad and pronounced that I was going to be born? Now, your parents probably told you an angel dropped you off and, you know, that was an oops, you were an oops baby maybe. I don't know. But uh, Regardless, none of you can say like Samson that an angel pronounced your birth, and yet that happened with Samson. Samson had godly parents who prayed for him, and they trained him in the ways of God. Samson had been separated unto God. In fact, when we looked at uh, Judges chapter 13, those first few verses, we read about this vow that his parents were to take, and ultimately this was a vow that Samson was to take. It was referred to as the Nazarite vow. Now, don't confuse Nazarite with Nazarene or Nazareth. That's where Jesus was born. Jesus was born in Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. But the Nazarite was a special vow that a person would take upon themselves voluntarily. And there were certain things that they would commit to doing to show their separation unto God. For instance, Samson would not cut his hair. Samson would not partake of wine or alcohol, and neither would he have any contact with the dead. That was part of that Nazarite vow, but it was a vow that was publicly demonstrated to show that this young man was truly separated unto God. 
what a powerful testimony. And then we look at Samson and you read in these middle chapters here between 13 and 16 and how strong he showed himself in life. If you know anything about Samson, you know that he killed a lion with his bare hands. Now, who of you have done that? He took the jawbone of a donkey and he actually killed a thousand Philistines. The Bible tells us in Judges chapter 16, right in the beginning, that he uprooted a city gate. Now, lest you think that the city gate was just this measy little thing, it is possible that some of the city gates could have weighed up to a few thousand pounds. And Samson took that gate and just took it off of its pillars and carried it 40 miles. Wow, you talk about strength. Then we read in Judges chapter 16 right at the end that he put his hands on those two pillars and he took down the house and killed more people at that moment than he did at any other time in his life. But Samson was given a very specific task. Every judge of which Samson was one of them had a mission to fulfill and that is to deliver the children of Israel out of the hand of the enemy. And if you look back at Judges chapter 13, verse number 5, it's very interesting what it says here about Samson. It tells us here in the end of that verse that he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. So who was the enemy at this time? It was the Philistines. And God calls Samson to be raised up by his mom and dad, to be prepared to do the work of delivering Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. But it's quite interesting that it says, begin to deliver. Now, I don't know, is God giving us a little hint here? God, who knows the beginning from the end, knew that Samson had a great start, had wonderful things going for him. But guess what? His life ended tragically. And today I want to talk to you here about what we see about this man, Samson, and what is possible in your life. Many of you today will finish just like Samson, and that is with unfinished business. Very few people can say like the Apostle Paul, I have finished my course Sadly, at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be many Christians who will stand there face to face with Jesus and come to the stark realization that what God had called you to do, you did not accomplish. Oh, how many start out in life with a great flare and fireworks, and yet like Samson, you fail. How is it that Samson could fail? The young man had so much going for him. Of course he did. But he had some things in his life that he allowed that caused the failures. Let me give you three things that I look at as a formula for failure in the life of Samson. First of all, a failure to hear. A failure to hear. Samson, as you look at his life in these few chapters, failed to hear or to listen to those who were godlier than him. And in the case of Samson, guess who that was? That was his godly mom and his godly father. Samson failed to hear them. 
In fact, look with me, if you will, at the beginning of chapter number 14. Verse number 1, the Bible says, Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel and God's commands for His people is that they were to select a spouse from among their own people, not of the heathen nations. Guess where Samson's looking? He's looking of the heathen nations. He's not looking of his own people. He says, you know what? Everybody in my class, they're just dirt ugly. I don't like any of them. They're no fun. But I sure like them over there. So the argument goes on in these first few verses. Verse number two, he came up, told his father and his mother. He says, I have seen a woman in Timnath, the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. And here his father and mother tried to discourage that. And I almost picture in this beginning of chapter number 14, this back and forth between Samson and his mom and dad. Get her for me. No, Samson, look, you need, to, you need to select somebody of your own people. No, no, I want her. And this back and forth. Now, how old was Samson? We don't know how old he was at this time, but I believe he was old enough to recognize that he should have selected from the right place and should have listened to his mother and father. Now, may I say to you today that a failure to hear those that are godlier than you is not simply a problem amongst teenagers. Oh, we find teenagers that don't listen to authority, but this epidemic of a failure to hear is also amongst you and I as adults. Most of us are here today and we are hearing counsel. You come on a fairly regular basis to hear the counsel of the Word of God. Do you know what I'm doing today in preaching? I am sharing these type of things from the Word of God. In essence, I am saying, thus saith the Lord. Here's what God says about your life. Here's the direction you must go if you want to please God. And now you must hear it and you must follow it. Some of you have people in your life who are very strong Christian influence. Maybe there's a mom and dad that is still a part of your life. Maybe there is a sibling. Maybe there is a close friend who is challenging you about living for Jesus, and you are failing to hear their words. Can I say to you, you are following in the steps of Samson. Samson's mom and dad were encouraged to raise this young boy to follow the Lord with all of his life. And when Samson got of his own, he said no to his mom and dad, and he said yes to the things that he wanted to do. It was a failure to hear. And our problem is not that we don't have ears to hear, not that we don't have a heart that can't respond. We just Listen to the words, and we shoot them out, and we figure we're going to go our own direction. My friend, I want to tell, encourage you about something. It is imperative that we listen to God. Hold your place here for just a moment. Go to the book of Proverbs. I was sharing this morning in my Sunday school class from the book of Proverbs. I was talking about how, how powerful this book is, such a book of wisdom, but go to Proverbs chapter 1, and I want you to notice that if you read through the book of Proverbs, you know what you find over and over? The book of Proverbs is given, and we're to listen and we're to heed. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, gives us the whole reason the book of Proverbs is written. 
It's to know wisdom, verse number 2. It's to receive the instruction of wisdom. Verse number 5, a wise man will hear and will increase in learning. Now look at verse 7, which is a theme verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know what happens? Look right up here. Wisdom is given, and the fool says, I'm not going to listen to it. Look at verse 8 and 9 of the same chapter. The appeal is made as if from a father to a son. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. And then you read in verses 10 and going on further, guess where the son starts listening? He starts listening to his peers, to sinners. And you can go to chapter number 2 and chapter 3 in the beginning and chapter 4 and on and on through the book of Proverbs. What do we find over and over? It is the instruction that is given, but it is the failure of the fool to listen and to hear what is being given. Years ago, I used to go out to the prison in Hendry Correctional. I'm glad that they let me go every night that I went and preached there. But I would go, and there was two different camps there at this particular prison. There was the work release camp, where some of these were going to be released in a short period of time. And then there was the main unit, where some of these, it was a big house, where some of them were kept for quite a long time. And I would preach at both these places. In the work release camp, there was a man that I got to know very well who had gotten saved under our ministry. His first name was Javier. And Javier was uh, full of energy. This guy, when he was on for God, I'm telling you, he was on fire. But when he was away from God, that guy was as bullheaded as as anybody could ever be. It came time, real close to the time, that Javier was about ready to get released out of jail, into society. He was going to be moving into Fort Myers. And for the month before his release, every week that I'd go out there, I'd say, Javier, here's what you need to do. You've got to stay away from these friends. You've got to stay in the Word of God. You've got to get yourself connected with a church and a preacher. And I gave him things, and he'd say, Preacher, you're right. He said, i got to do that. So week one of that month before he left, and week two and week three and week four, I would go over these things with him, and I would instruct him and share with him, and we'd pray together. The day came for Javier's release. Man, he called me about a week later. He said, Preacher, he said, things are going great. He says, you've helped me. I'm doing everything that you've asked of me. And God is really speaking to me. And boy, it's great. He called me a while later, a couple weeks later. Things were still going good. Called me about a month later. Things were still going good. In fact, we were able to connect. He had come to a revival meeting that we had at our church. Boy, he was on fire for God. About two weeks later, we had made arrangements for him to call. I didn't hear from Javier. I tried calling him, didn't get him. Got his voicemail. Javier, how you doing? I'm praying for you. No answer. No return call. Finally, one day, I was able to find where he was at. And I'm telling you what, that guy I had heard, he really had fallen off the wagon. And I came back to, oh, to the prison one day, and guess who was sitting there in my Bible study but Javier. After I preached on that particular night, I walked back as everybody's filing out, going back to their jail cell, and I said, Javier, I said, what happened? He looked at me and he said, preacher. He said, 
I heard what you told me. I listened. He said, but I thought that I could do things better and I didn't need all of that and I began to reject what you said and I began to follow my heart and look at me. I'm back in jail again. I'm telling you what affected Samson was his failure to hear those who were godlier. Now some of you that are away from God You say about that person who's godlier than you, well, look, if you had to listen to them chirping in your ear all the time, you'd probably reject them as well. Sometimes we look at that person, we go, well, they're just a holier than now. They just, you know, they're constantly trying to disrupt things. Let me tell you something. Most of the people that I know that are trying to give counsel and instruction to people that are living away from God are only there because they love them. Samson had a godly heritage, and he failed because he refused to hear his parents. How sad. Some of you have parents that are pulling you. They're trying to encourage you. They're trying to bring you safely into the things of God. It reminds me of a story that I read. It was a hot summer day in South Florida, and there was a boy that got out and went to the swimming hole in the back, and he stripped off his clothes, and he jumped into the water, and he began to swim to the middle. And all of a sudden, his mother looked out and saw that there was a gator coming towards him. She got out of the house and she began to call and and reach out to him. And she said, come back in, come back in. And when he saw that she was calling, he turned around and there's the gator chasing after him. The mother got down on the deck and she began to reach out. And that boy reached on and she grabbed him by the arms, but the gator had the legs. And there was a tussle between mom and the gator. And boy, that gator was strong. That mother is screaming and she's digging her nails into that boy. And that boy is feeling the teeth of that gator that is crunching down on his legs. And there's this tug of war and she's screaming. And there's a farmer that comes by and here's what's going on. He gets his gun and he shoots the gator and that mother's able to rescue the boy. They get him to the hospital. The doctors perform all sorts of surgeries upon him. And he's there for weeks in the hospital. One day a news reporter came in, they wanted to interview this boy to find out what had happened. And this boy sitting there laying in the bed actually, and he said, do you want to see my scars? And so he kind of pulls his blanket back and shows the scars. And so there they are taking some pictures. But he said to them, I want to show you some other scars, which I'm really proud of. He rolled up his sleeves and he showed the scars of where his mother's fingernails had dug into him and he said to the newspaper reporter I like these scars because this was my mom saving my life digging into me my friend I want to encourage you listen to those who are trying to help you formula for failure number two Samson had a failure to heed That is, in other words, he failed to get to know God and His Word. You know what's amazing to me? As you read through the book of Judges, you go through chapter 13 to 16, there's something that is a 
that you notice very casually about Samson. And it's that he never prayed or sought God until he got to the end of his life. Samson, when it came to the end of his life, and he realized how his eyes had been put out, and he's about ready to end, then he comes to seek God. The thoughts Samson probably had through most of his life were this. Look, I don't really need God. I mean, I'm sure that Samson, every morning that he got up, did like a lot of teenagers do, and, you know, they get before the mirror and they start, you know, kind of posing like this. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to rip my jacket at all, but uh, I just want to be careful. But, you know, they kind of, I'm sure Samson kind of got there and kind of looked in the mirror and, boy, look at these guns right here. Look at how strong I am. Look at what I've got. And I'll bet you through life, Samson relied more on himself and what he thought he could do than on God. And sadly, there's a lot of Christians who live that way. They, you know, maybe come to church once in a while. They'll open up the Bible if they have time. They'll spend a little bit of time in prayer. But their living of the Christian life is more on, well, I I can overcome this problem. I can do this. I can take care of this myself. Instead of having a wholehearted reliance upon God. Can I tell you something very simple about the Christian life? It's something that took me a long time to learn, and in fact, I'm still learning it. I can't live this Christian life on my own. Neither can you. We can't live it by ourselves. We must depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We must depend upon God. Why are you here today? You say, well, my wife dragged me to church today. Well, whatever reason you came to church, you ought to be here today because you're dependent upon God and His Word And the reason Samson failed in his life is because he failed to heed God's Word. Number three, failure. Samson had a failure to handle. A failure to hear, a failure to heed, but a failure to handle. There was a failure in Samson's life to handle or properly control his flesh. Now, can I tell you, Samson had a very serious problem. In fact, I want you to notice three times what it mentions about Samson. Look here in the book of Judges, chapter 14, and verse number 1. The Bible says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman. And then guess what? He asked his parents for that woman. Look at chapter 16, verse number 1. Then Samson went to Gaza and saw there a harlot, and he went in unto her. Notice chapter 16, verse number 4. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman, probably as the other passages talk about. Again, he saw her, he loved her, and he went in unto her. Her name was Delilah. You know how I could summarize Samson's life? He had a woman problem. Now, nothing against you women out here today. You probably are godly women, but Solomon or Samson was going in the wrong direction, the wrong type of women. 
Samson had a woman problem. Now, your issue today may not be related to that. But I want to say that every one of us has some fleshly hang-up, some fleshly desire that wants to dominate our life. The world tends to downplay the immoral actions of people. They tend to go ahead and, and just put a wet blanket upon the type of fleshly appetites that they say, oh, it's just so natural part of mankind. You just got to go ahead and fulfill some of the things that you have in your life. Well, I must say to you today, it may be part of our old man, but if you and I are left to ourself and to our flesh, our flesh will destroy us. The end result of fleshly desires taking control is that there is no peace in a person's life but only destruction. It's pretty amazing how Solomon had this tug of war, if you will, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. I read to you three times how Solomon saw a woman and went into her, saw a woman and took her, saw a whore, a harlot, and went in unto her. But four different times the Bible talks about in Samson's life that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Do you know the struggle you have in your life as a Christian? God has given you the Holy Spirit to live in your life to help you live for Jesus. But our problem is we don't rely upon the Spirit. We ignore the Spirit of God and we give in to our flesh. That constant war between the flesh and the Spirit. The best thing you and I can do is heed the Bible's warnings about the flesh. I decided not to put these on the screen. I want you to turn if you so care to. Uh, the, the guys may put this, these verses up. I want you to go to Romans chapter number 13, if you will. Turn over to the New Testament, the book of Romans chapter number 13. And I want you to notice here what the Bible tells us about the flesh and what Samson failed to do with his flesh. Romans 13, verse number 14, the Bible says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The word provision in the King James Bible literally means this, that we must not plan for or think about the things of the flesh. Make no provision. You know why Samson failed? Because he planned to fail. He planned to give into the flesh. He planned to go ahead and follow his own desires. He thought about it, meditated about it, and then went and fulfilled it. But the New Testament is very clear. If you're going to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, you cannot think, you cannot stand by evil. You've got to get away from it. Same book, I want you to look at Romans chapter 6. Notice here Romans chapter 6 and verse number 13. The Bible says here, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The word yield is again a very great word. It means to stand close by. 
It has the idea of getting close to something and therefore giving into it. You know, I love the story about Joseph. When Joseph stood before his boss's wife, who basically appealed to him to give into his flesh. And Joseph didn't stand there with that woman of temptation before him and say, well, i tell you what, I'm going to see how strong I am and see if I can kind of overcome this. No, the Bible tells us that Joseph got out of there. He fled. And you either are going to stand by temptation and you're going to give in to it, yield to it, or you're going to go ahead and flee from it. Samson yielded to it. One other verse I want you to see, it's in another book, just a few books over, the book of Colossians chapter number 3. I want you to note this verse, Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 5. Colossians chapter 3 verse number 5 The Bible says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now he tells us the things that are part of our flesh that we're to mortify. But you say, preacher, what does the word mortify mean? When I think of mortify, I think of this. (gasps) Well, we use mortify in the English language, but in the Old English, the word mortify, it means to put to death. It is the idea of rendering something lifeless. To deprive your flesh of any energy or any power. You know what God's telling you to do in Colossians 3, 5? Don't give your flesh any energy. Kill it! Put it to death! But the problem is, we give it life. We yield to it. We succumb to it. We follow after the flesh. And God says, if you're going to be successful in the Christian life, and you're going to follow me, you cannot yield to the flesh. You cannot make provision. In fact, you've got to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Oh, when I think about Samson, I think to myself, Samson, it didn't have to end this way. Honestly, you had everything going for you. You had a great career. You had a great heritage. You had the power of God upon you. And yet you failed. Because you failed to hear godly advice. You failed to heed the word of God given to you. And you failed to handle or control the flesh. They say, preacher, I can see my life, maybe not the same way as Samson. I may not have my eyes put out, but I'll tell you what, I'm losing it. I'm giving into the flesh. I'm following my desires. I'm not really following God. And I realize that I'm on a course for some failure. Well, let me help you in closing here. Let me give you three tips on avoiding failure in your life based upon what we shared just a few moments. Number one. Determined to associate with godly people. That's a biggie. 
Now, I guarantee if you were raising your children and you were saved at the time, how many parents told their children, I don't want you hanging around that person? I want you hanging around these kids? Come on, how many parents did that? Would you raise your hand for just a moment? Of course we did. Why is it that we get into adult life and we think, oh, it doesn't matter who I hang around with? It doesn't matter who I spend the bulk of my time with. Can I say, just like kids and just like teenagers are affected by who they hang around with, so are adults. Now, I get it. You can't help who you work with. I get it. You can't help who your neighbor is. I get it. You can't help certain things, maybe at a family function. But I'm here to tell you, when you decide who your friends are, it'll tell a lot about your life. I've said to teenagers over and over, tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you what your life will be in a few years. And I really say the same thing about church people. Some of you come here, and boy, you split very quickly right after the amen is given. Some of you are gone before the amen is even said. You know why? You don't have any friends here. Your friends are your drinking buddies. It's quiet in here. Your friends are down at the lodge. Your friends are at the local club. And you could care less about being Christians. You say, well, look, I come, I hear a message, I'm I'm here, various other things. I'm going to tell you something. Your life is destined for some failure. And I love being around God's people. Perfect? No. Perfect? Ask my wife. Don't say no. That's the time you're supposed to say, preacher, you're, you're, no, I'm just, hey, Ben. Honestly, some of the best people to be around, to help mentor you, associate with godly people. Some of you are struggling in some things. It would behoove you to find somebody who can mentor you. Now, don't find somebody who is less spiritual than you are. Don't find somebody who really is really struggling. Find someone whose life really is on fire for God and have them mentor you. Number two tip on avoiding failure in your life, decide daily to follow Jesus. Now, I emphasize the word daily, and I made sure to include it because it has to be a daily decision. Do you realize the battles that we face in the Christian life are every day? The devil and his host of angels don't just say, you know what, we're going to take a break from that Christian for a little while because they just need a break. No. Every moment of every day, you're finding attacks on your life spiritually. And what would behoove you is to, before your feet hit the floor, that you, in a simple prayer unto God, would say, God, today, I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know who I'll come into contact with. I don't know what circumstances may come around me. But today, I give my life to you. I honor you with my life. I'm going to begin the day in the Word of God. I'm going to, if a temptation comes, I'm going to go ahead and pray and maybe seek some counsel and find a way to avoid temptation and follow you. 
but decide daily to follow Jesus. Number three, die to yourself. Die to yourself. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about your, that flesh. You know, the day that you got saved, another man took residence in your life, Jesus Christ. He gave you a new man. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the day that you got saved, God took that old man, strangled him, and put him away, and he had no more influence on our life? Wouldn't that be nice? But that didn't happen. When God saved you, He gave you a new man, but now there's that struggle of the old man, that's our flesh, and that new man which is created after God in Christ Jesus, and there is that constant struggle here. And if you're going to live for Jesus and not fail, you know what you've got to do? Is put to death that old man. You've got to die daily. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. But you know what happens sometimes? Me, John Boucher, I may say on one moment I'm crucified with Christ, but on another moment I may resurrect the flesh and go, all right, I'm going to live in the flesh. Isn't it amazing how in the morning we may have spiritual victories, and then in the afternoon we're on a crash course of collision. But you've got to die daily. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Paul says, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Wow. Die to yourself. You know, it's amazing to me that if we're going to live in this way, we've got to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an angel that appeared to Samson's parents and gave an announcement. There also was another angel that appeared to another dear couple and made an announcement of this child's birth. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. Samson was told that he was to begin the ministry of deliverance for evil, for, or for Israel, over the evil that they were facing, but he never finished it. But there was one who was called by God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says that His name shall be called Jesus because He shall or will save His people from their sins. He will accomplish it. Amen. My friend, I want to tell you, the Lord Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life on this earth, yielded Himself completely to God, and was able to pay for your salvation. And today, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior... For you to live for Him, you've got to yield yourself to Him. For those of you that are here today and are not familiar what it means to know Jesus Christ as Savior, I'd invite you to ask the Lord to come in your heart and become your personal Savior. Father, I thank You for today and thank You for this life of Samson. In the Scriptures, we learn from great and wonderful and good examples, but we also learn from some of these bad examples, people like Samson. Oh my, he had everything going for him, and yet he gave into his flesh. He failed to hear, and he failed in his life. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed here today, you're possibly here, and you say, preacher, I'm not saved. I don't know Jesus is my Savior. 
but you'd like to be saved. Yesterday we had a memorial service for Scott Anderley's mother, and we had one young man raise his hand for salvation, ask the Lord to save him. That young man meant it with all his heart. You know what? That young man is on his way to heaven someday. And my desire as a pastor is to see every person here under the sound of the Word of God come to know Jesus as their Savior. You say, preacher, I'm here today and I'm not saved. I know that I wouldn't go to heaven. In fact, I'd probably split hell wide open. But I tell you, I want to be saved. And I want Jesus in my heart. I need forgiveness of sins. Would you just lift your hand right now? Anyone here today? Preacher, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be saved. Nobody's looking but myself. Preacher, I'd like to be saved. I'm, I'm just going just to hold for just a moment. God's working in your heart. Preacher, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be. I trust by the absence of hand, every person here knows Jesus. So let me ask you that are here as Christians, you're born again. Which direction is your life headed? Is it headed for success, living for God? Or is it destined for failure? You say, preacher, I've been ignoring people that have been telling me that I need to get this out of my life. I need to correct this. And I've just been thinking they're just, you know, some fuddy-duddy Christian. And I don't need any of that type of stuff. My friend, I want to tell you, open yourself up to the wise counsel. As long as the counsel that is given to you pairs with the Word of God, then what they're giving to you is right. Some of you here today have been failing to heed the Word of God. The Word of God's been given to you, but you've not been obeying it. You've not been seeking God. You've been just relying upon yourself. Some of you have been giving into the flesh, and I don't know what it is, but you're destined for failure. And some of you today can yield yourself to God and make things right. You could come to the front here and make this an old-fashioned altar. Lay your life on the line before God and pray and say, Lord, I'm committing my life to you today. And while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, how many are here today and would say, Preacher, God's touched me about something. My life's not completely yielded to Him, and I need to correct this in my life so I don't end up like Samson. Would you just lift your hand? Would you say, Preacher, would you pray for me in closing here today? Anyone like that? Preacher, pray for me today. God bless you. Anyone else here today? Preacher, pray for me. Pray for me that I would follow God with all my heart. 